Hey everyone, this week we're going to be talking about how you can get a job as a deaf advocate and what that looks like and what is the day to day. And it's kind of perfect because we have Swix here to talk about it and he is a deaf advocate at AWS. Yeah, and before that, I did two years at Netlify as a dev advocate, and that was my first uh, dev advocate job. So, you know, I'm, I'm only about two jobs into this career, um, but I'll just share what I know. And both really exciting companies, too, so that's perfect. So let's uh, jump right in. So I want to know, what is your day-to-day like? So the day-to-day for a dev advocate is very varied. There's no one particular day-to-day. And the other thing I really like about it is that it's kind of self-directed. Um, so it can be range. Anything from writing blog posts to creating a talk to talking to internal stakeholders and giving them feedback, uh, mainly about product and marketing stuff. So those are all separate teams. Dev advocates are basically have the primary role of representing the user uh, within the organization. So there's some dev advocate roles which are closer to marketing. So you you are in, required to do more content and some other roles are closer to products where you're, you're required to do more product feedback and stuff like that. Uh, I would say that most dev advocates do more marketing because that's how you justify paying for pretty expensive dev advocates. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know like what kind of companies hire dev advocates? Yeah. So basically any company that had that faces developers. So traditionally you would think about, you know, the, the AWSs of the world whose customers are developers uh, the Netlifys of the world, which uh, who focus on front-end developers, uh, but then uh, de- developer tooling companies are you know a small set. Like that, that's that's a small set of companies that uh, people work for. I mean, you can also think about Twilio. You can also think about uh, Vonage. I, <laughs> uh, it's pretty funny because uh, I happen to know Stripe. Stripe you think of as a developer ad- uh, tooling company, but they they're historically very light on developer advocates. I think they have like two. In the whole company. Wow, <laughs> um, and that's that's mainly because Stripe, as a company, has has made this decision that essentially they're going to spread it out, right? Like, there's no sometimes you want to concentrate this uh, a role into one person. Sometimes you just want everyone to have a little bit of that uh, role. So uh, it's it's really based on the company. And the other thing I'll, I'll also observe is that obviously this is kind of like a rare role. Like, uh, there, uh, I, I typically observe something on the order of between 30 and 50, like air quotes, real engineers to one dev advocate. Um, and I think this is really reflecting, you know, the, the amount of sheer amount of engineering going on to, uh, to build the features that then the dev advocates kind of go out and sell. Um, so I think I think that's uh, that's a kind of the ratio that, I, that I'm, I'm seeing. That's really interesting. I have actually, I don't think I've ever worked at a company that had a dev advocate. I think the biggest company I worked at was Eventbrite and then a Pandora acquisition at some point. And I don't think they had any like dev advocates. Now I'm excited because I feel like I want to work at a company that has a dev advocate. <laughs> well, I, I, I would also say, also point out, yeah, so companies that you don't traditionally think of as developer facing, as they build an API layer, as they build like a partner ecosystem, they typically start to need them. Uh, so some less obvious dev advocacy companies you might think of are like Slack. 
uh, you know, Slack, you, you might view as a chat tool, but then there's a lot of chatbots and a lot of API integrations that, that people use. Spotify also has dev advocates. And again, like you think of it as a music app, but actually there's a lot of apps that are built with their APIs. Any base, any basically any large enough company starts building a, you know, API ecosystem and that, that API needs dev advocacy. So yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very wide ranging role. I would, I would say one of the Issues, which I'll, you know, let's let's face it right up front, is that you go very broad and not very deep because your your goal is to be kind of like the first line of response, and you're not expected to know, uh, you know, super in depth detail. I mean, it's great if you if you do, um, but you're not expected to know it because you can always refer it to a subject matter expert within within the company. Uh, but as a, as a first layer, you're kind of like the face of the company, uh, traveling to a lot of conferences, uh, although not so much these days, um, <laughs> and uh, and uh, and meeting a lot of customers. And and what they it's, the terminology for this is kind of you're, you're responsible for top of funnel, which is how people first hear about the the company even before they try you out. Um, so uh, there's a lot of messaging going on. There's a lot of content marketing, which is. You know, I think I think it's one of those weird things where if you do the learn in public right, and if you do a lot of writing, and if you do a lot of speaking, uh, you end up training yourself to be a pretty good developer advocate. Uh, one of the things that I would also caution people about. So this is a very good mid-career role, right? You have some engineering experience, uh, and you will need to build your network um, and gain a lot of uh, you know ex- expertise in like the softer side of being a developer. But then it could also be a sort of a terminal role in the sense that you're not really an, an engineer, like you're, you're not maintaining some kind of system that in, in production, you're just building a lot of uh, demos and, and talks and stuff. Um, and you're not really a manager, like you don't have formal authority over anyone, you just have informal authority because you represent the users and, and you have to influence your product teams uh, to, uh, towards features that... Uh, that you think are important. So where do you go after being a developer advocate? There's no, you know, C-suite, uh, you know, chief developer advocate officer. Um, there's, uh, there are some VP of developer experience. Uh, so my, my, uh, my ex-boss, Sarah Draster was, is a VP of developer experience at Netlify, but that's also a pretty rare role. Um, and so, so it's not clear. And, and I think a lot of people um, end up Basically, as with with this role as as kind of like a like where, where yeah it's 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 a very good role to get and very it's a very nice life while you do it. It's just very unclear what you do with it after. I think in engineering, that's I feel like we're sometimes so focused on like oh should we go into you know management should we go into being a tech lead but sometimes being just at a software engineer level is fine. Like there's tons of successful engineers yeah. that are just at the software engineer level so. In a way, I feel like we can compare that to a dev advocate. Maybe that's fine. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, so I, I have uh, a mentor of mine, Phil Hawksworth at Netlify. He's you know he's older than the rest of us, and uh, but he's he does the role fine, and he'll probably do this role forever. And I don't think he has any ambition to rise in the in the company ranks, and that's fine as well. You know, he's 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 got the principal title, and that's that's good enough. Um, and oh, that's I think- a great title. <laughs> he's good then. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great title. Um, yeah, so I, I just um, I, I always wonder about like, you know, how to pitch this for for people just entering the field because you really are giving up something. It's not like a pure win. You really are giving up 
uh, other things you could be doing. You could be spending more time on uh, other parts of the stack in engineering, or you could be transitioning to management. And those are relatively clearly mapped out career paths that have mm-hmm. more depth and, and a higher ceiling than, than developer advocacy, which is which is maybe a lower ceiling, but it's a lot more fun and you build uh, your network a lot more. So I'd say uh, in my, uh, I have a, I have a, like a beyond your coding career section. I, I do actually call this out in in, uh, in my advice for people. Like it's a, it's a good midterm career. Um, I typically think that it suits you to become a product manager or a developer instructor afterwards because you essentially teach for a company and then you can easily transition that into teaching for yourself. And that's a, that's a really nice transition. Um, but yeah, I mean, those, these are just things to, to consider. So we've talked a little bit about some of like the, I feel like now the downsides of like, you need to like, you know, decide about your long-term career. We should talk about what's something that you really like about being a dev advocate. Yeah. Um, just learning on learning nonstop about, things <laughs> you're being basically being paid to learn in public and i think one thing that is generally true as especially in my career is that if you show that you can bring people along on, on a journey as you learn then you don't you're not required to know anything when you join a company like it's pretty funny because uh i was asked when i joined aws like how much aws aws i knew and i, I didn't know any of it like i, I would I like, you know, read some stuff, but I never used it before. And it's fine because people will hire you purely on the basis of they've seen you pick up something from scratch and, and become good enough to, to give compelling talks about it. Um, and so uh, when I was when I was interviewing, uh, same thing happened for uh, database companies wanted to hire me um, and back in sort of, you know, container orchestration companies wanted to hire me and uh, all on the basis of like, uh, this is a generalizable skill, which is which is pretty cool compared to, um, others where they might, you know, screen for like X years of experience in certain technologies. Like you're, you're, people start looking at you uh, through a different lens, which is pretty nice. That is so interesting. I had no idea that was a thing because I always was like, oh my gosh, I could not work at Amazon as a dev advocate because I don't know enough AWS. My AWS is very rusty. <laughs> yeah, you're expected to learn on a job. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that actually transitions us nicely to talking about the interview process. Um, yeah, typically. Yeah, I want to hear all about that. So for for Netlify, it was like a take home task, uh, and it, for me, it was like building a static site generator and really explaining the process as I as I went along. Uh, also, you know, I think my my as you blog your existing sort of portfolio air quotes of, of blog posts kind of serve as your resume, um, and and it's just assumed that uh, you you continue to blog and, and and you know mention and squeeze in examples from your company. Uh, for AWS, uh, it was a very clear like do a sample demonstration about technology that you know well, and I think that was a very that was a very nice um, uh, interview process because that kind of just tests how you do uh, these things. So they'll 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 get in engineers from uh, all parts of the company, and you just have to sit and make a formal presentation, and they'll ask you all sorts of questions, and they'll rate you on base based on how you handle it. Um, and if you don't handle questions and, and sometimes like curveballs, you know, they'll, they'll just ask you like a dumb question or, or irrelevant question and you need to handle it with grace because you're potentially the face of a publicly traded company and you need to know what to say sometimes. And I'm not saying like I, I do it well, like this is the sort of thing that you, you pick up after making a few mistakes, but, uh, <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a good skill to have. And that's kind of what the interview process can be like, um, for an experienced hire. That's really interesting. So how can someone kind of start preparing for a dev advocate job? Yeah, 
I think uh, everything that we talk about in terms of uh, content creation, writing, uh, learning in public, that really helps. In, in particular, the stuff that people practice less of. So I'm really talking about speaking because most developers have not practiced uh, speaking. And uh, you really don't need anyone's permission, which is, which is what is beautiful about this. Like, uh, I got approached by Netlify's CEO uh, for the dev for for the job, it it was it was for a different job, but uh, it, it tr- eventually turned out to be a dev advocate job. I got approached because I did I started doing speak uh, uh, talks in the New York City meetups about React, uh, and I started writing blog posts. Um, and it's one of those things where like developers hate to market, so any developer that tries immediately stands out. So I don't think you you need to try very hard. Um, you do need to do try to do a good job of explaining complex things in a simple way and making compelling demos for which I think some level of visual expertise is, is uh, always rewarded. Uh, there are uh, some, there's, there's a guy who I think he goes by reverend geek. He just draws cartoons and uh, people who can draw are <laughs> just, just have superpowers <laughs> as, as developer advocates. Um, Lynn Clark and uh, formerly at Mozilla also, I think she, I think she still is at Mozilla um, also does performs that function anyway. So uh, how do you start preparing? Um, just act like you already have the job and market for technologies uh, for which you're passionate about. And eventually those technologies, if there's a company behind them, they'll, they'll want to hire you or, uh, you know, people will see you doing that their work and, and start, start to ask themselves if they could see you doing that same job for them. Uh, in particular, I want to shout out Egghead.io. They actually have a learner advocate program, which is kind of like an internship thing um, where they'll pay you a small amount of money and you basically you, you do sort of instructional support for the Egghead.io instructors. And uh, the, someone who has a learner, learn, learner advocate experience is probably prepared pretty well prepared for a dev advocate job. I think Siora Ford um, was a learner advocate for Egghead and just got hired as a, as a full dev rel uh, somewhere else. So um, yeah, there's many paths. That's awesome. That's a great way to get an in. And kind of another question, I don't know much about dev advocates. Like I really only learned about the dev advocate role, like even I think last year really. So what are some common misconceptions about dev advocates? Oh, there's so many. Um, <laughs> so, so I'm gonna I'm gonna post I'm gonna post a link uh, from uh, keyvalues.com on on misconceptions because uh, it kind of goes into more more details in the show notes. Uh, there are some misconceptions like dev advocates travel to conferences all day and and just party all day. Uh, that that's just the most visible part of the job, and obviously it it is fun when you're traveling for a bit and then when it becomes work you start to hate traveling <laughs> that's a different story <laughs> um, <laughs> but th- there's always a, a grain of truth in everything there's there's always you know uh, you know uh, uh, stereotypes that are not that true uh, there's another misconception particularly of some dev advocates where it's more sort of an evangelism model uh, kind of yelling like instead of devrel it's come on like dev yell uh, like telling people <laughs> that they're, they're doing things wrong uh, I, I obviously don't uh, subscribe to that, but a lot of people, a lot of dev advocates, are very strongly opinionated, um, and will will uh, will try to thought lead their way into into your brains, into your brains. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think another misconception is that uh, it's uh, sort of like being a paid show. Um, I, I, you you kind of are. Um, the the thing is though that you your credibility, your integrity is the utmost. If you if you try to say something which is just not true. Like if you say something is great and it's not great, 
then your own credibility and your own your own industry, I don't know, uh, street cred uh, takes a hit. So we all, I, I think, you know, a smart developer advocate would know that uh, their loyalty to their own personal brand and their own integrity uh, is paramount above any company that they currently work at. Like if you do this right, you know, if you're a sellout, then you just pitch whatever the company tells you to pitch, right? But that's a, that's you're selling out people who trust you, and they will stop trusting you when they see that uh, you're not being authentic. So you have to be, you have to continue to be authentic. And um, yeah, there's there's different people along along, along that spectrum, but uh, I, I generally tend to follow uh, my own sort of uh, moral compass when when it comes to that kind of thing. That's really interesting. Well, this was so awesome, and I feel like it's going to be so helpful for so many people who are looking into dev advocacy as a potential job. So I hope everyone enjoys the episode, and we'll see you next week. See ya.